Welcome to the Paragon Podcast. I'm your host, CO, and on today's episode, I sat down with fellow uh, founding member, one of the founding members of Paragon Physios and also student physical therapist, Thomas Cammie, and we had the wonderful opportunity to chat with Dr. Adam Fritsch, a physical therapist and adjunct professor with South College. We talked about everything from his background and how he got into physical therapy to his time as a, as a resident and being a, a fellow. So for students that are interested and even practicing clinicians that are interested in pursuing a residency and or a fellowship, I think you'll find a lot of great information. Dr. Fritsch is an exceptional physical therapist, an exceptional professor as well. And we were definitely fortunate enough to have him as a professor for our musculoskeletal course uh, this past lab back in in March. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, all your main podcast platforms. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Paragon underscore physios. We're constantly putting out um, information based on evidence from everything for from health and wellness to uh, research in common areas such as low back pain, shoulder pain, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, definitely leave us some feedback, write us a review, let us know we can continue doing great, what we can improve on. We love to hear any feedback. Thank you all. And I hope you enjoy the episode. How are you guys doing? I'm it's feeling, Friday. I'm feeling your energy and I'm picking up a little bit. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's, it's Friday. Yeah. I, and I'm surprised that I still have it's the end of the week and just, and just walked out of a fairly long day. So I'm, I'm surprised I'm actually having this much energy, but we'll try yeah. to see if we can keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a uh, week two for you, right? Yeah. So I, uh, so I started last Monday. Um, it was kind of mostly orientation, just kind of getting used to some of the policies, compliance, all that kind of fun stuff. And then I started seeing patients in the clinic Wednesday and it's kind of been slowly ramping up. So I would say that this week, I probably had about, I had almost a full day today. So I probably had about uh, 10 patients today. Nice. And that's, that's probably, that probably put me about like 85% ish to volume. So, so I think I had probably about like 10 to 10 to 12 evals this week. So it's been, it's been pretty busy. Awesome. Nice. Well, I guess to provide some context, uh, cause you've been, you've had a busy probably last 30 or 45 days. Uh, for our listeners, can you kind of just give a brief introduction, kind of where you're at now and um, a little bit about your background? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, so my name is Dr. Adam Fritsch. Uh, I'm a physical therapist that uh, I, I graduated from Carroll University with my, with my clinical doctorate in 2011. And then um, I went on and, and started clinical practice in an outpatient orthopedic clinic um, out in Schaumburg, Illinois, with a company called Athletico Physical Therapy. And about six months in, I, uh, I really wanted to do an orthopedic residency program. So I joined uh, Evidence in Motion and, um, and started a residency program through them. Did that uh, for about two years, uh, finished in 2013 and took my, uh, my board certification for my OCS, uh, received that in June of, of 2013. And then um, probably kind of just kind of dabbled in clinic for, for a year or two and then um, Ended up actually meeting up with uh, Dr. Jeff Moore um, uh, at an ice course. Um, just kind of wanted to learn more about thrust manipulation, and it was his it was his first course he was doing for for ice for Institute of Clinical Excellence. And uh, 
I, I started chatting with him and, and I was, and I said, you know, like he told me he was doing fellowship training with evidence in motion. And I was like, I'm like, well, what do I need to do to kind of be like you? And, and he's like, you got to do fellowship training. So I said, okay. So I, uh, I went home to my wife that I was going to do fellowship training and, uh, she wasn't super happy about that, but, um, she was willing to tolerate it. So we, uh, I jumped on board with, with evidence in motions fellowship program in 2015 and, uh, and finished that program in 2018. And then, uh, and then kind of, again, kind of continue work through clinical practice. I started to teach a little bit for evidence in motion. So they were kind enough to bring me back as a, a lead faculty for them. So I, I primarily teach lower extremity, uh, cervical thoracic and lumbopelvic management for them, kind of doing some courses around the country, um, mostly on site, obviously with, with the recent pandemic, I've been doing more virtual courses for them. And then, uh, in 20, when I was, I was furloughed in clinic back in 2020 of the uh, summer of 2020 Mm -hmm. and decided that, um, I had, I had gotten asked to start doing some adjunct faculty work for South college, uh, with their MSK courses. And, uh, and quickly realized that if I wanted to pursue that as a full-time, uh, full-time faculty member, that uh, a terminal doctorate was going to be something I needed to pursue. So I enrolled in Bellin College's uh, DSC program, their Doctor of Science and Physical Therapy program, and have been doing that for about a year now and, and hope to have that completed um, in about two more years. So, so currently, um, I'm doing that. Uh, I'm starting to put some research together for, for them. So I, I've actually got a systematic review that I'm working on as well as a, a clinical research study that I'm doing as well too. And then uh, I just actually uprooted my family and I, we have just relocated to from Illinois to Kalispell, Montana. We have family out here and we've always wanted to move West. So we just planted roots in Kalispell, Montana about two weeks ago. And I started at a new clinical practice with a group called Logan Health, which is um, formerly known as Kalispell Regional Healthcare, um, a hospital-based system. So I'm in one of their outpatient clinics in Kalispell and um, am, am currently seeing patients there. So that's been going on for about two weeks. And then when I'm not doing that, I'm teaching for Evidence in Motion and, um, and also at South College uh, with their MSK courses with all you guys. So that's kind of, that's kind of me in a nutshell uh, from a clinical perspective. That is a lot to unpack there. I feel like we could go down several different roads of questions, <laughs> but I, I'll start easy. So you fair, mentioned fair. that you graduated in 2011 with your clinical doctorate in physical therapy. Yeah. Was physical therapy kind of always the plan? How did you uh, end up choosing physical therapy as a, as a career route? Yeah. So, so not in, not in the least bit was this my plan. So I was, uh, when I was in um, high school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I, I kind of, I was really actually leaning harder towards either uh, veterinarian school, uh, marine biology of all things, or like a medical doctor. And so um, when I went to, when I started applying for schools, I kind of just applied all over and what really ended up drawing me, um, so I went to Augsburg College in Minneapolis for my undergraduate. And what drew me to that school is, is I, I had played ice hockey since I was 10, and I really wanted to play hockey. So, my, so Minnesota just seemed like the place to go. Mm. So I ended up selecting a school in Minnesota to play there just because I figured, hey, I could play ice hockey, and then I'll, I'll kind of figure out the schooling thing. And so I started as a biology major, figuring I'd cover all my bases with regards to what I wanted to do. And after my sophomore year, I kind of started to realize that this was just not where I wanted to be as far as from a schooling perspective. Mm. And so um, I met with my advisor and my advisor basically said, you know, like, well, what do you love to do? And I said, you know, I, I really like sports. 
Um, I really like working with people and, and I like healthcare. And he said, well, have you ever thought about athletic training? And I said, not really. And he, he kind of described about for me a little bit. And he said, but the only problem is, is that we are scrapping our athletic training program. So if you were going to do that, you would have to leave the school and go somewhere else. So I really didn't okay. like that idea. So then he said, you know, have you ever thought about physical therapy? And I said, honestly, I really don't know what it is. And so he um, recommended that I go over and talk to um, an advisor over at St. Thomas University, which is in St. Paul, Minnesota. So at the time, um, Augsburg College in, in, in the Twin Cities had this agreement between about three or four other schools that if you wanted to take major classes at a different school, you could, but you could still take your general electives at your school. Well, I wanted to keep playing hockey at Augsburg. And so I opted to go to St. Thomas because they had a program called uh, health promotion science. Mm -hmm. And so that was kind of the program that would get you into physical therapy school. It was like a prereq. Mm -hmm. And so I sat down and talked to the advisor and he was kind of laying everything out for me. And he's like, we do biomechanics and kinesiology and nutrition. And I was like, well, this all sounds kind of cool. So he let me sit in on a few classes and I was like, yeah, I really kind of like this stuff. So, uh, so I ended up just enrolling after my sophomore year in, in a health promotion science degree. And then still really had no idea what physical therapy was at the time. And it was after my junior year, I, um, I met up with a, with a gal that was a, a friend of my dad's and um, I was looking for something to do for the summer. And she said, well, you know, I work for this, this outpatient orthopedic group that has physical therapy and they also have um, orthopedic surgeons there. You know, would you be interested in getting like a PTA position? And I said, yeah, sign me up. So I went over, interviewed, got the job. And, and I actually ended up working there for two years as a PT, PT aide. And the group there was wonderful. They let me do a lot of things. They let me construct um, home exercise programs. They let me work with the patients one-on-one -on -one a little bit, um, kind of putting programs together, help me kind of progress and regress their treatment plans. So I spent two years working full-time with them, um, basically getting like probably 10,000 hours under my belt. And then, um, and then started really enjoying what, the physical therapy aspect and then decided, all right, well, this is what I'm going to do. So then uh, so I started applying to PT schools and uh, I didn't get in my first year. Um, but I got in my second year and then, and then kind of, that was it. That's, that's awesome. I, I love hearing kind of the non-traditional pathway to, to physical therapy, because I think it's really cool for people that really know what they want to do from like high school and they just know they want to be a physical therapist, but it's always kind of cool to uh, hear those stories like that. Now, did you ever, speaking of hockey, did you ever have professional hockey <laughs> in mind or were you just going through hockey in college to kind of help pay for tuition and stuff like that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that I'm sure you probably would ask most athletes that they, we all have aspirations mm -hmm. to play pro somewhere, yeah. but um, I, I really, I knew that I probably wasn't good enough to play anywhere really substantial. Um, I was fortunate to walk on to, to a division three hockey team uh, up in Augsburg and, and was a pretty good division three league. Um, but honestly, I realized fairly quickly when I started playing division three hockey, that I was not going to be the top 10% or 1% of that, of that college group. So, um, so I got to play my four years. I was excited about that. I enjoyed it. Um, made it, made a bunch of friends and, and teammates and, and, uh, I dabbled a little bit as I was kind of going through my undergraduate of playing on, of trying out for some different junior hockey teams, which again, would have probably most likely just delayed my, my um, graduate school and who knows where I'd end up being at this point. But um, I, I kind of realized that, that probably the pro hockey thing was not going to, was not going to pan out. So, which I'm glad I pursued the way that I did. Awesome. Now, uh, um, what position did you play in hockey? Just curious. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, so I play I played I played defense. So I was I was a defenseman. Fairly small for a defenseman in you know this day and age. I'm I'm only five ten, so pretty pretty small for for a defensive that's, position. That's pretty tall, my most... <laughs> <laughs> You're big. You're a big guy. You're the enforcer. Yeah, I'll... it's all it's all it's all based on perspective, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, you mentioned that you started adjuncting at um, South College a few years ago. How did um... How did you end up uh, helping with some of the MSK courses at South College? Yeah, so it was kind of um, so so back in back in I think it was 2010, 2011 when South College kind of was first first created. The I always kind of had my eye on them, um, you know, was aware of what was going on, and it just threw my ties with evidence in motion. Um, I, I was kind of knew that what they were doing, but really never really paid a whole lot of attention to it, and partly because when I was going through, when I was going through residency and then when, as I started moving to fellowship training, I really had no desire to teach. Um, I was not passionate about that. Um, to be honest with you, getting up in front of a group of people was, was actually downright scary for me. Um, I had a really tough time with public speaking. And so it, it was never an avenue that I ever considered. And then what happened was uh, just through my connections with evidence in motion, um, you know, everybody's so interconnected with those groups. It's, it's kind of really hard to separate the two at times. Um, South college was becoming a bigger, was a big, becoming a bigger person out there. And then Baylor started getting rolled out. And then, so I started noticing these hybrid programs were starting to become more and more popular. And at that current time I was going through fellowship training and I started to actually teach a little bit through the fellowship training. And I was asked to be a TA for a couple courses. And that was kind of part of the requirement for me. And it was actually at a course, I was at a course with Dr. Paul Minkin and Dr. Cheryl Sparks, who is also a faculty member for South college. And I was a TA for that class. And um, they asked me to do uh, to demonstrate a few things and, and do a part of the lecture. And we were sitting there at a break. And I remember Dr. Sparks came up to me and she said, you know, have you ever thought about teaching before? And I said, no. And she goes, well, you really should. She's like, you're really good at it. And I said, and that kind of just blew me away. Cause I mean, here, here I'm coming from, you know, two people that I look up to as, as really, really good, solid uh, physical therapists um, really good teachers, well-known, you know, just in our field. And here she was willing to tell me that. And, and so I started kind of thinking about it more and more. And so then I started kind of reaching out to, um, to Dr. Mark Shepard. Um, and then who eventually got me tied into Dr. Notaboom, um, the Dean of, of South College. And so, um, so then I ended up actually getting in touch with Dr. Notaboom. And I I'd said, you know, I just want to let you know that I'm really interested in teaching I heard you guys are looking for adjunct faculty. Um, just wanted to, to put my name out there if you guys are, if you're ever in need of somebody. And he's like, Adam, he's like, you know, we would love to have you. You know, you have all the kind of the, the background that we'd love to have. You, you've gone through fellowship training. You know, you, you've obviously done a lot of work in the outpatient orthopedic realm. I think you'd be like a really great asset for us um, in the MSK courses. I said, oh, great, wonderful. And he said, you know, we're going to kind of put this on pause for a second because we're, we're looking at maybe doing another cohort. So we're kind of, we're, we're going to need people at some point or another. We're just not sure when. And so we kind of we kind of sat on that for a bit, and then um, finally I found out that another cohort was going to get approved, and then things just kind of happened really fast. And then I started talking to Dr. Kozolinski, and um, from there, basically, they said, you know, we'd love to bring you out, and, and it kind of just it kind of just went from there. Well, I'm sure I can speak on behalf of our pod. Uh, we're probably very very fortunate to have you as our as our professor at lab because I mean that was an awesome experience in just a short amount of time. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I appreciate that. I really do. Just a couple of days and you definitely rock that. And I, I feel like some of the things that you were able to 
teach us and we were to glean from you, we actually shared with other pods and, and obviously everyone has different teaching styles, but there was information that we were able to give to other people that they found uh, helpful as well. So appreciate that's that. awesome. I mean, that's really, and that's really, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's, and I appreciate you guys as far as just all the hard work and dedication and, and just being willing to listen and be there. But the, I mean, that's really what it's all about. I mean, it's the, the idea that we really want to try to come across is, is one unified message across the board and, and just to try to help develop all you guys so that you guys can get into the field and, uh, and it's really continue to just continue to elevate the, the clinical game, if you will, and, and really just help our patients. Right. I was going to say, um, I, I know, I know Tom has some few, a few questions. I was just curious to know from a teaching perspective in your experience, what are, what have been some challenges? Cause it sounds like, I mean, you doing an exceptional job teaching, but what have been some challenges for you in, in your experience of teaching? That's a good question. So, uh, you know, I, I think that, so when I went through, when I was going through my fellowship training, the, and then on the backside of that, when I had reached out to a few people and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in teaching, you know, kind of where do I go from here? Um, so we had a, we had a groom to teach program that, that Bell and college had put together. Um, so, so evidence in motion, uh, for the fellowship perspective has now become Bell and college. So Bell and college's fellowship program, they, they had this groom to teach program and, and they were kind of, I think they've continued to kind of revamp it. And that's one thing that I've always been impressed about by evidence in motion is they've always tried to really change based on the feedback they've gotten. They've tried to make everything better every time. And they've always, and they've never kind of just rested on success. They've just tried to get, to get better every year. And so as we were going through the groom to teach program, I, I think it's better now than what it used to be. So it was basically the way it was laid out is, is you would teach two to three courses around there and you would go and um, you would be, you would have kind of like a mentor, if you will, or you'd have a senior faculty. And the idea would be is, is that the, the first course you'd try to teach like maybe a quarter of the, we, let's divide it up into four quarters for the weekend. So you teach like one quarter of the, of the four. And the next time you go, you try to teach half. And then the third time you went, you try to teach almost the whole thing. And then basically what they would do is they would give you feedback based on that. So they were keeping tabs on you this entire process and saying, hey, what things did they do well? What things could they have done better? Um, you know, do we feel like they're ready to move on, et cetera? Do they feel like they're ready to take their own courses, et cetera? So I think that I process and that was being developed. I, I think where I just never knew if I was doing the right thing. I, I would kind of go and I, I pretty much would just go and just, and just unload on people uh, in a fire hydrant basically way mm -hmm. and, and pretty much just give them everything I could possibly give them in two days. And it, as I've kind of started to develop over time, I've and, and getting feedback from mentors and, and feedback from courses and classes is that I've started to realize that it's not about necessarily, it, it's again, it kind of goes back to the idea. It's not about you. It's about mm -hmm. them. And so it's not about giving them everything you've got from the standpoint of, just give them all the knowledge you have and hoping they'll soak it in. It's, it's kind of, it's meeting them where they are and trying to help them make connections and, and, and things that are going to be powerful and impactful for them. And I think that's something that I've come to learn over time. But I think that was a challenge for me early on was I just wanted to give you everything I had because I think personally, I think I was, I wanted you to feel like I knew a lot, you know, mm -hmm. but really at the end of the day, like I'm still learning just like everybody else is and and it, it's, it's, you don't have to necessarily give them everything you've got from a knowledge perspective to make it really relevant for them and make it personal. 
So I, I think that's kind of a challenge for me is, is, is when to hold back and not give them content, give it to them in pieces, make it, make it purposeful, make it impactful and let them make those connections and then, and then move on and, and then, and then kind of give them piece by piece, if you will, as, as opposed to just unloading, opening the dam and giving them everything you got. I think, I think giving them piece by piece, letting them make those connections. I think that's probably been a challenge for me that I'm still continuing to work on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I know just from, I've never taught or been a TA or a GA or anything like that, but I know from being a personal trainer, I know the day like after I got my certification, the first few clients that I had at the gym that I worked at, I just wanted to throw everything at them for the same absolutely. reasons. Like, you you want to sound competent, uh, but there's that fine line of balancing obviously showing that you're competent in what you're teaching, but also making sure that the person you're teaching is getting what they need out of it. Yeah. I think that's a perfect way to put it. it, it it's kind of, you know, we all get excited because we want to, we mm. want to share so much with somebody, but it, it's, it's, that doesn't help them. It, it's, it's helping them make the connection, but also too, I think trying to not give them the answer sometimes and help make them work for it a little bit. And, and I think it's, it's, the, when they when they come upon something and, and make a realization and the light bulb turns on, that is so much more impactful when they come to that answer or that connection as opposed to you giving it to them. Absolutely. Yeah, I can agree with that. And I think a lot of it comes from, you know, I can kind of attest to what Chris was saying when I was working as a personal trainer as well. A lot of it comes from from passion, I think, too, because you care about what you're giving to those people and, and you want them to understand it and internalize it. And because you care about it, you want to give them more of it. And so it's not always a more is better situation. Sometimes it's a, a taper <laughs> and kind of dose them effectively the same way you would with anything else. Absolutely. It's funny too, how you see, like, uh, you know, as, as I've been teaching more, it's funny how you start to draw so many similarities between teaching and the clinic, as far as how you treat patients, how you dose things out. Like, I mean, it's, it's amazing the connections you can draw between the two. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see, uh, see those connections being made just as far as how I plan to, to start when I start uh, working as a clinician myself. Yeah, for sure. I, I know um, you've kind of pointed at um, kind of your experience in residency and also fellowship. I know you kind of have like uh, several questions about that, but I wanted, I know Tom had some questions as well. I kind of wanted to yeah. open it up to him. Yeah. yeah um, so, I mean, I didn't even know a lot of that story that you told uh, postgraduate of uh, DPT school. And, you know, it seems like you've been very, very hungry for, for more knowledge and kind of a self-starter and very motivated to, to continue your education. Um, is there anything that you would, you know, retrospectively looking back on to the time back when you graduated that you would tell, you know, well, I guess us and then the people who are graduating cohort behind us and everything like that. Is there anything you would tell them as far as advice for things you wish you would have known when you were graduating? Yeah. I mean, I think you guys are so far ahead of where I ever was at this time frame in my career. Um, you know, and I think it's cool because I think that you guys are going to be already way ahead on the pathway um, as opposed to where I started. In, in, you know, residencies have become way more popular over the, over the last 10 years or so. Um, fellowships are kind of, you know, they're, they're being and flowing. I think they get popular and then I think they kind of, they decrease a little bit. But I think that as far as what I would tell people is 
first one to two years when you come out of school is just so critical. I think if you can find somebody, somebody who you really look up to and say, man, like I really want to be like them, um, you know, whether it's clinically teaching, whatever it is. Um, I think that if you can identify that person and you can really try to find a way to get, um, get into some sort of a mentor mentory relationship with them. I just feel like that just pays so much going forward because it, it, it just sets you in a different pathway of you're getting so much value there of, of that experience in the clinic where instead of just kind of just trying to feel your way out and, and trying to figure out like what works, what doesn't work, that's all good. And we need that. But I also think too, having somebody in the clinic who can give you feedback directly and, and help you reflect and, and basically say like, Hey, look, like, you know, we saw that patient today at 3 PM. And what did you think about that? Like, why did you do this? What made you decide to do this? Like those kind of questions are so invaluable because they're doing it for a reason to challenge you, but to make you better. And I think the more you can personally reflect on a day-to-day basis of what you're doing in the clinic and say, you know, what, you know, maybe pick two things and like, what, what two things went well today? What two things could have gone better? What two things do I need to change going forward to, to, to get even better than where I'm at now? I think if you can really do that and, and have a mentor that can help you with that, I, I really feel like that that's going to, what, what's going to set you on that pathway to, for, to really achieve excellence. Um, and we all know kind of excellence is kind of one of those things that just never seems to be achievable, right? It's, it's just a, it's a, a goal you're always trying to strive for. But I, I think that really what that does is it just sets you down. A I think it just makes you a different clinician. I think it makes you hungry to learn more because you've realized it's this idea of this conscience and competence, right? So it's kind of like, you now know what you don't know. And once you're there, <laughs> mm-hmm. you can start to now get better because you can start to seek out where you're weak at or where you need, where you need improvement. The issue is, is that most new grads that come out of school are in this unconscious incompetence where they don't know that they're not good. They don't, they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. So until they can get to that point where they're at that conscious incompetence, they can now start to get better. And I think that I was fortunate enough that when I went through residency, I quickly realized and learned where I was not good at because people pointed it out to me. And then from there, I was able to start kind of filling in those weaknesses. Yeah, I I can definitely uh, attest to that. At least before PT school, I was fortunate enough to work in an outpatient clinic kind of similarly to the situation you found yourself in. And uh, a therapist I kind of hitched my wagon to um, Steve, if you ever listen to this, thank you. <laughs> um, but he, uh, he really, you know, he was, he gave me very open criticism and as far as like how I can handle things and, and not even just the physical aspect of the job, but like dealing with the psychosocial aspects of it as well. And I think that was critical in preparing me for, for applying to PT school and then dealing with some of the challenges that, you know, we all deal with while going through school. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's, it's, it, it's so true. And I think it's, it's good. The, the sooner that you can hit that kind of thing, the better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you though, it sounds like most of your uh, experience from before school and then since then was mostly, you know, outpatient and stuff like that. Are, are there any other specialties in PT that interested you uh, at any point or was it always kind of the name of the game for you? Yeah, I think that I was really, really close-minded. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Um, I, you know, I think because I did so much work as a rehab aid in an outpatient ortho clinic, Mm -hmm. I think I always kind of knew like, that's always what I wanted to do. And I, and and to be completely truthful, I don't know if I ever really gave any of the other realms of PT 
much of a chance. Um, you know, most of my clinical experience that I did through my contagion education or not contagion education, my, um, my, um, uh, clinical sites, when I did my internships, it was, I think I was in a skilled nursing facility for one, I did a home health rotation. And then pretty much after that, it was all outpatient. Mm. And so it, it was kind of, and I set that up purposely like that because that's, I knew that's what I wanted to do. But again, I, I, give, I didn't give much of a chance to anything else. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy with where I'm at, but I do feel that, and it's funny because now it's kind of come full circle because with this new position that I'm in, um, I'm getting a little bit more of, of some of the patients with some of the more neuro deficits or a little bit more of the acute care stuff. Being part of the hospital system, I'm seeing people much faster than I ever did before in an outpatient clinic. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of almost coming back to haunt me a little bit because I, I, I never really gave that stuff the time of day. But now we're getting some of the patients that are coming in with the TBIs or a patient with a significant concussion or vestibular, or, um, you know, maybe we're even getting some, uh, we're getting some people with, um, you know, paraplegia and things like that. So it's, it's definitely an area now where I'm weak in, and I now have to try to strengthen up a bit to help serve the patients that I'm seeing now. But I, I I think that, you know, I always tell people like, and I, I tell people, don't do what I did. Keep yourself, keep an open mind. Um, and, and see, cause you never know where you might end up. And, and they t- even told us that in PT school too, is like, you know, I know most of you guys all want to do outpatient orthopedic, but it's kind of like, they were like, you know, like, you know, give acute care a chance, give peds a chance, like, you know, at least try them. And if you don't like them fine, but at least, you know, you tried. So it, but for me, yeah, it's, it's always kind of been the outpatient ortho. Um, the clinic that I was an aide in was mostly post-surgical. I knew that that's not what I wanted to do though. I really wanted to, I really liked the idea of kind of the detective work, if you will, figuring out the problem and, and, and figuring out the puzzle. Mm-hmm. So I always wanted to do more non-specific pain. That's kind of where I, I tend to really like to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's probably great advice considering we're going through a lot of those courses <laughs> right now. Yeah. So. For sure. Yeah. For sure. I remember these notes out as soon as we're done with this. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's great advice. Uh, I can definitely feel myself kind of taking a similar path because that's all I've really you know been exposed to other than some observation hours. But you know, our first clinical rotation is next quarter. So I'm sure, uh, you know, I'll be able to dip my toes in a couple other areas and see how I like it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I I think it's, and you know, and and even too, I will say that when I did some volunteer work at the hospital, um, you know, one thing that I always just had a hard time with is I just, I never felt like I could make a connection with a patient because they were gone so rapidly. hmm. You would see them for, to do some, maybe some bed mobility or some gait training and they were, they were discharged like the next day. So I just, I, that was one thing too, that I really didn't like about it. I just felt like I never could make a connection with anybody. It was just, they were so in so, so fast that it just, once you actually start developing a relationship, they were gone. So I just, I, I, that's, I just, I really, really thrive on the connection with Mm -hmm. my patients. And so I just, I felt like I didn't get that with acute care either. Yeah, no, definitely more rewarding watching someone that you, you know, they're a little bit of their life story and and you can watch them kind of flourish if you will. And absolutely watch that impact. Um, I did have one last question for you if we have time. Yeah, please. Um, just because, you know, PT school is can be hammering to, to the students, but I know that your schedule definitely seems like it can be daunting as well. Are there any things you'd like to do outside of hockey and then outside of PT uh, just to kind of blow the steam off and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I love, uh, you know, I've got, I've got my wife, my wife of 10 years. It'll be 10 years month, or sorry, June. Congratulations. And, nice. uh, Thank you. And, uh, and I've got two little ones. So I've got my, my son, Connor, who's eight, my daughter, Olivia, who's two. And, um, you know, part of the reason that we actually would really started to drive us out West, other than the family connection was 
we just wanted to have a different lifestyle for our kids. And, and I think that that's something that I'm going to benefit from as well, too, because it just it, the, the, the people out here, it, it's it's not just about what you do for a living. It, it's about what you do outside of work as well, too. It's the mm-hmm. recreational stuff. It's the kayaking. It's the mountain climbing. It's the hiking. It's the fishing, the hunting, et cetera. And so that's something that, um, you know, I, I've, I really want to start to try to discover a little bit more about myself. And, and I, and I feel like that's a, that's an area that I want to bring my family up in as well too. And, and so that definitely contributed to it, but you know, I love to, I love to hang out with my kids. Uh, we've got a really big backyard now. So my, my son and I can play ball out there. My daughter loves roaming around outside and playing with our dog. And, um, you know, I love to fish. I love to hunt. Um, I love to, I'm starting to get into the hiking a little bit. I'm discovering all these trails out here that are just, and people are giving me so many different places to go. Um, the mountains just to me are just this mysterious thing that I just want to just, I want to go after and just get up there and kind of like get closer and, and, and do some trails and explore out there. So um, that that's kind of what I really want to move into more is, is doing more of that stuff is just be able to get it to enjoy the outdoors and, and, and hang out with my family. So that's kind of, that's kind of what I do, you know, when I'm not, when I'm not doing anything kind of, you know, PT related, if you will. Yeah, right on. I definitely can see getting, getting some sunlight's always good, especially when you're in clinic or looking at a screen for school all the time. So I can definitely oh, relate. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. You got to have it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, Chris, do you have any more questions you'd like to ask? Uh, yeah. And before I ask, because I have to ask one on behalf of uh, Sean or us in our group, but as somebody <laughs> that moved to the mountains from Florida, yeah. like granted, I was born in Colorado, so like we visited all the time. But coming here and it's just realizing how much there is to do outside of just home life, work life. It's just it, it seems endless. Like we've been to so many places in Colorado, and it just seems like every time we try something new, it's just like we didn't know this existed. Like this, we didn't know about this trail, or we didn't know about this. Like, uh, well, I guess we're kind of trying to consider rock climbing, but. Nice. nice. The, height, the heights thing is that's another ball game. <laughs> I can't see you doing that, but I'll, I'll wish you luck, Chris. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll be Spring the one parachute. screaming 10 feet off the ground. Right. That's uh, right. <laughs> but, um, Are we there yet? Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to go back to the residency and fellowship question. Uh, yeah. And this is a question from Sean Rush, and I think it's a really good one. But he was curious to know what your thoughts are on if it's better to wait a few years and get experience after graduating and then maybe considering a residency slash fellowship, or if it's better to go straight into residency and then maybe a fellowship after graduating? Yeah, that it's a great question. It's one that I get asked a lot too. Um, just, just because I've gone through residency and fellowship training, but the, so I personally feel that, if you, I think six months is kind of like the sweet spot, like six months of, of getting your hands dirty in the clinic, kind of, it's enough time where it gives you some experience and you realize kind of where maybe you're starting to realize kind of like, Hey, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing so well with these patients, or I do really well with these patients, or maybe this is an area that I really like to treat, or this is an area I don't like to treat. I think six months is a good time frame to allow you to get some, to get some exposure. You get some, you get some failures under your belt you make some mistakes and you have some successes. And then I think it's enough time where it allows you to do that, but it's not so much time where you start to develop really bad habits. Mm-hmm. It's really, really hard when somebody gets ingrained in a clinical habit to really get them out of that. 
and some people just, I mean, they do it for their entire lives where they just, they get so bogged down with what they do every single day that you look back and all of a sudden 20 years and you're doing the same things now that you were doing 20 years ago. And, and that's okay. In some, to, in, in some things, that's fine. I mean, there's going to be some things you've learned from clinic and just from just experience that work well. And that's fine to have that. It, it's, I think the true clinician can take that, realize where they have limitations and then mold that with the research, with, with the patient values and what they want and, and use some of that evidence to guide them and, and really mold it all into one thing. And I think that is really the, really where the true expert clinician comes out. The, so I think that six months is kind of a good time frame. It allows you again to get some experience, but then it doesn't allow you to fall into those bad habits. And then the cool thing is, is that now you start going through residency, fellowship, whatever you end up doing. And then the cool thing now is, is that you're starting to now take what you're, what you're learning in those programs and you're applying it directly into patient care. So you go to a weekend course, you come back Monday morning and you're like, look, like I learned all this stuff and now I'm going to start applying it. Kind of like we talked about earlier yep. and, you, and you want to kind of give it to everybody and that's fine. I mean, you're, you're kind of trialing it on a bunch of people, but then you start to realize kind of what works and what doesn't with specific people. And then you start to really start to shape that clinical practice. So I, I, I think that's kind of how, where I kind of fell in is, is that six months is about where I started integrating. And I, you could, you could wait out a year potentially, but I think six months is kind of a good spot. Awesome. That's great insight. Thank you for sharing. And then absolutely the last question, um, <laughs> and we kind of talked about this a little bit at lab, but yeah, um, just from what I've seen, and this was prior to PT school, I, I joined a few pages that are catered to helping students out or incoming students and even practicing clinicians. And um, there seems to be a lot of talk about PT burnout in a couple particular settings. But I was just curious to know, kind of, you've been practicing for a number of years. Um, what advice would you give um, if you've experienced this issue yourself? But what advice would you give um, new grads? Because this, this seems to be a, a problem, at least from what I've seen on social media or a challenge. Um, um, as a, I guess a better way to put it. But what advice would you give to, to graduating uh, students or just new newer clinicians um, and how to combat that notion of uh, PT burnout? Yeah, so I think that one of the reasons why that PTs get burnt out is, you know, when you're in clinical practice, the when your patient is not doing well, when you're not getting good outcomes with your patients, that is a really tough job mm -hmm. to be in. Because it's people are looking to you to help them solve a problem. And if you can't solve that problem, that wears on you and it wears on you over time. And, you know, maybe like it's not bad if you have a patient or two, you're going to have people that are just that are not going to succeed with you. And that's OK. But when you start realizing that a lot of your patient caseload is not improving, you are not finding any way to move the needle. Individuals, this becomes one of the worst jobs. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's because you, you, you internalize that. And so you, you basically feel like, well, I can't help them because I'm a failure and I can't, I can't get them better. And so it becomes, it becomes a tough job. I think that's what starts to drive a lot of burnout. I think that when you're getting really good outcomes in the clinic and your patients are all doing better and they're improving and they're progressing and the needles moving forward and, and high fives are all around because everybody's, everybody's getting better and they're coming back from the weekend. They're like, man, I'm like 50% better. 
better. I was able to, I was able to go hike the other day and walk a mile when I couldn't do that for months. And that it's the best job in the world because now you're, you're just sharing in that, that jubilation with those patients. And it's, you've come, you know, walking that pathway to, to side by side and it's a shared experience and it's a, it's a shared moment for both of you. It's the best job in the world. I think that when, when, when new grads are not, when new grads coming out of school are not getting those outcomes, because, you know, again, they don't have the clinical experience to rely on, you know, they probably have, they hopefully have some of the evidence to back them, Mm -hmm. but they don't have that experience yet. And they're only going to get that with time, but, you know, maybe they don't have that mentorship, you know, and I think that that's where a lot of these things help to reduce burnout. When you, when you're going and getting mentorship from a, from a clinician you respect or look up to, and it's helping you to reflect and get better in your clinical practice, when you're taking continuing education, when you're getting involved in the profession, um, you know, when you're realizing and getting quicker to that, that conscious incompetence, you now start to realize what you don't know, and you can start addressing those weaknesses. Because if you don't know their weaknesses, you're never going to address them. And so if you can start to get really good, then your, your passion is going to continue to get fueled, and your patients are going to get better. And then it's just, it's the best job. And that determinants from burnout is if you can, if you can really get your, get your help, your get patients get better and get good outcomes. I think that really mitigate that burnout feeling. Absolutely. And just from my background in personal training, just, I guess, understanding when you're newer that you're going to make mistakes and you shouldn't necessarily be afraid to make them and let them kind of really dictate your outlook on your profession because there is a learning curve really with any career choice, if you think about it. And you're, you have to be okay with kind of making those mistakes. And it definitely adds value if you can also have a, a good mentorship uh, program or just a, a good mentor in general. Absolutely. And I, and I think that that's why, that's why I think the mentorship is so critical, as I mentioned. I think that's why residency and fellowship programs are so, are so great um, because they help with all those things. Um, you know, I, I think a good mentor can really, can really help you in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, and I think a lot of times, you know, you could even consider not considering a residency or a fellowship. If you have a really good mentor who is basically giving you a lot of those things and you would get through those programs, there's, there's so many different pathways and avenues to get there. Um, there's, I don't think one way is the best. I think it's just that this is just the way that I happen to go to where I'm at now. But I, I just think that it's, it's one of those things that if we can, if we can really try to help reduce that burnout, um, I think that that will just be, it, it just, we, we can't have that coming out of our profession as new graduates. I, I, I want really passionate physical therapists that are trying to achieve good outcomes. And, and, and like you said, Chris, it, it, at the end of the day, like you have to give yourself some grace. We're all going to fail. Yeah. And the only way you're going to learn is by failing and nobody's going to come out of school being perfect and be able to treat everything. So I've learned so much from the mistakes that I've made over the years. And, and I'm sure you could ask any experienced clinician out there, that they could go back and say, man, like if I could go back and treat some of these people now, it would be a whole different ball game. Absolutely. Well, I mean, those are, that's all the questions that I have today. Um, will you be at our upcoming lab? All right. Well, so I, I think part of our, our, our current um, curriculum for this quarter, but wasn't sure if you're going to be there for maybe one of the earlier quarters. Are you guys, are you guys going to advanced interventions? Is that what you guys are up to for the summer? Not yet. Not yet. I think maybe in July. What do you guys have in June? Do you guys have anything in June? Uh, I think yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, neuromuscular practice. Um, what else do we have? Acute care. Pain sciences. 
That one's with okay. uh, Dr. Moore and, and uh, Dr. Flynn. And then, I don't know why they're all blanking on me right now. Cardio <laughs> Paul McHugh Care. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I think my next, I'm slated to go with the other group, I think for MSK one, the first week of June, I think I'm, oh, I'm okay. back in Knoxville. Um, so if you guys are on campus, um, we'll cross paths. Um, yep. But I'll, I'll be there that first week of June. And then, um, and then I think they, I think that group has, I, one of the groups has advanced interventions the following week, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that might be the group before you guys. And then I think I'm back again. September, the first week of September, I think I'm doing MSK three. That okay. sounds right. So are you guys, so will you guys be on campus in June or no? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So I'll see you guys. I just won't awesome. be in your class, but I'll see you guys. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough. I mean, this has been an incredible conversation. I could probably honestly do another hour, but it's also Friday. I know you have a family. <laughs> we all have families to get to. <laughs> but I, I can't thank you enough. It, it's greatly appreciated. Yeah. No, I no. appreciate your time. Yeah, for right back at you guys. I mean, thank you so much for having me on the call. I'm super honored to, to be here. Um, keep doing what you guys are doing. That's awesome. I, I love the fact you guys, I mean, I would have never even in a hundred years as a new, as being in graduate school have ever thought to do a podcast or do the things you guys are doing. So, so please, by all, I, I love the fact you guys are doing this. It's awesome. Thanks for having me on. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Yeah. Hey, you too guys. Take care. Okay. You as well. All right. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Paragon Podcast. As mentioned before, if you guys could subscribe to our channel on all major platforms, you know the two big ones are, our three big ones are Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Overcast. That would be wonderful. Leave a review if you can. Also, don't forget to follow us on uh, Instagram at Paragon underscore Physios. And as usual, thank you all for listening.